Welcome back to another episode of the JWB Dynasty Digest. We give you a consumer perspective. I'm Skylar, back here with Tim. This is a follow-up to the last episode we did where we redrafted the 2020 through the 2022 class. If you did not watch that one, please go into the description. That video will be there. As a follow-up today, we will be drafting the 2023 class, and then we're going to be talking about approximate market values and compare this class to those last classes. But first... You know what it is. It's the hearts of a lot of fantasy players. I like it a lot, honestly. I like I'm I'm in for death taxes and the 2022 wide receiver class. I like what you were saying, Skylar. No, no player is completely untouchable. I think you guys really. I had not. I have not really heard this yet. I listen to a lot of pods, and I have not heard this yet. Well done, gentlemen. I'm really impressed. All right, guys. So first, you'll see on the screen here the draft we did last time. If you want to pause it and just get a quick recap of where these players went on the board, you can do so now. All right. So we're going to get this draft underway. Tim is starting out here with the 101, just in case anyone listening. This is a super flex draft. So quarterbacks do get a bump. Who is the 101 of this year's class for you, Tim? The 101, I'm running with Bijan. Run into the podium to make this pick. He is a complete back, offers the upside that you want to see in a back that can potentially get you 20, 20 plus points a week as the as the running back one, and potentially the one running back one overall in Dynasty already. Yeah, I think anyone who isn't going Bijan here or thinks lesser of Bijan just because of the hype is just being kind of contrarian. As far as prospect go, you you can't get a better running back prospect uh, than Bijan Robinson. Uh, you know, unless we're we're talking like Adrian Peterson level. So 102, 102, 103 here, you can pretty much take your favorite pick of CJ Stroud or Bryce Young. Tim, if you want to lock them in either order, I think they're pretty interchangeable here. They're different players, but I think both of them are really, really good bets for being top 12 quarterbacks in Dynasty. Uh, I think getting them this year, people seem, some people have the perception this is a weaker quarterback class or that there's no sure-fired stud and to those people i would just completely disagree i think cj sean and bryce young they almost check they check a lot of boxes of course they have a couple a couple things like bryce you know with his size i understand the concerns but these two are uh i'm very confident in these two yeah these are definitely guys that if you're looking for a quarterback in this upcoming rookie class they're definitely ones that you want to target i'm I'm a little bit concerned on the on the ceiling of some of these uh, of these guys just because I think that w- without rushing you are just limited unless you're th- you know throwing 350 yards a game, which could be unlikely to happen week to week. So I can see maybe uh, closer to a, Q- a back end QB one finish than a mid or top QB finish for these guys. But uh, having QB ones on your team, especially when it only costs you one draft pick. Uh, at these spots is definitely the way to go right now. Oh yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you're talking like you'd be hoping ceiling of like the Justin Herbert range and then the floor of maybe like that Tua range is kind of what we're thinking like, but that's mm-hmm. still extremely valuable. We got 104, Tim. 104, I'm running with the wide receiver one of this class and that's uh, JSN, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. You mean wide receiver seven? That <laughs> <laughs> depends on who you're talking to. <laughs> Uh, well, maybe we'll have to find out where, where his ranks are this year, but yeah, I think he's, um, I think he's a very safe wide receiver. I, he's no doubt in my mind that he can play in the league 10 year starter easily. 
Uh, I think a very close comp could be ceiling wise could be uh, Keenan Allen where it's, he gets volume, but he also has very great control of his routes and always has the edge on his defenders. I don't know if I'm going to be seeing any wide receiver ones in his future, but him being uh, top 14 to 16 dynasty wide receiver for the life of his career would not be something I'd be surprised by whatsoever. Yeah. It's like when we were doing that last draft, when we were when you were talking about how like Amonarse Brown might get the volume to be a top twelve wide receiver, sure. But you were saying how long term you don't know if necessarily he'll always be that player for you, mm-hmm. and that's probably where Jackson Smith and Jigba falls in. Yeah, probably back end first, uh, high uh, high wide receiver two on uh, on most seasons in terms of production, and I think that's a good place for him to be. And then at 105, I'm going to run with Jameer Gibbs. I like the upside at running back. Anyone that's concerned about his size, I think they really should take a look back at his build. He's thick where he needs to be as well as he's super elusive. I have no doubts that he's able to finish runs. I don't know about the bulk of carries, but I don't think that that would be the role he would be in anyway. So I think he's a very dynamic running back that will do a a decent amount in the passing game as well as have pretty electric plays on the ground with a within an offense that can support those plays and be dynamic moving up and down the field all right this 106 pick is just you said running up to the podium i think this is pretty simply anthony richardson here for me this is the spot where i i can wipe my hands clean if he busts because there are no surefire prospects in my opinion after this point i'm totally fine too if you want to take anthony richardson over JSN or Gibbs, I kind of disagree on JSN. If that's the if that's the pick you want to go there, I'd be looking into other options at quarterback. But with Anthony Richardson, you you can't you can't look past the athletic profile that this guy has. And if he does hit, you've seen the success rate of these mobile quarterbacks and w- how much they can change your fantasy team. You see Jalen Hurts there in a tier one of his own. Is he a better quarterback than Joe Burrow or Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert? No, but that rushing ability for fantasy football just elevates these players. So I like the shot on Anthony Richardson there. 107, this is where it starts to get tough. I'm going to take Addison. This is still my wide receiver two of this class, but the separation between him and JSN, I think, was really solidified once we got through the combine. I mean, JSN was fast where you need him to be, a, you know, 99th percent agility scores. Jordan Addison, he just came in a little smaller than we'd have liked, a little smaller than we'd have liked, but I'm not getting hung up on it too much. He put up very, very solid numbers in college. His his film was pretty solid. There are some general concerns, but you know, the speed isn't what bothers me mainly. A player like Stefan Diggs ran maybe a tenth of a second faster, and he has had no problems burning defensive backs in the league. There are there's more nuance to getting open deep than just pure 40 line speed. Uh, it's not very often as well that you're just getting to run a straight line one-on-one with somebody and that's how football works. So Addison is still 107 here for me. Yeah. And most wide receivers don't start to play with their, their, their three point stance, one hand in the dirt either. So measuring 40 times <laughs> that way is kind of antiquated in my opinion. I agree that the upside of Richardson is there. I am not a big fan of him, but I do agree on the, um, peaks and valleys. If he hits, he could easily be in the top three to five wide uh, quarterbacks in the upcoming uh, dynasty years as well. And to me, Addison's more of a intermediate floor ceiling guy where I see him as a strong wide receiver too, 
but uh, it could even fall into wide receiver three, depending on where he sits on a roster on a, an NFL roster. But I think he'll be productive and very efficient on his touches. Blitnikoff winner. So, you know, that he's already got some uh, history behind him as the best receiver in certain spots. There are going to be some interesting landing spots and some fun landing spots for these receivers for sure. Just based on the ones that don't want to spend money on these overpriced ones in the, in the market right now. So I, I love the pick with uh, Addison at 107. I think 106 or 107 for Addison. I think you're, you're doing quite well to, to add to your rosters. And then at 108, I'm going with another receiver. I'm going with Quinton Johnson with Quinton. I do have some concerns that based on his build and the fact they had to move him inside to find greater success is a little bit concerning because if, he has to play outside and he can't find success there. He becomes a little bit more one trick than you want. But when you go and you, you review these, this class of wide receivers and you evaluate receivers above him and below him, he is potentially just based on his performances already. He's miles ahead of the receivers behind him. Um, besides a few that are coming up. But in terms of upside, I think he's got the highest upside in this class to either become uh, one of the alphas in the league that are starting to dwindle or reduce in, in quantity, and he could fulfill a big role there. But also, there, there might be just things that in his game, he he just can't do at the NFL level, and it really limits him. So there is some some concern here, but I understand this as an upside play. But know that the, this is this pick is not without risk. And then my next pick, I'm picking uh, Charbonnet. I believe that he is going to get the draft capital necessary to consider him as a future lead back in the NFL. There are some teams I'm hoping he goes to because of his skill set. And I, I look forward to see how, how he fits in a, into a, an offense. But I think he can do both rushing and receiving. He's obviously a better runner but he is capable of um, playing in the passing game. Yeah. I mean, Charbonnet is probably the safer, the safest pick here, you know, kind of one, 109, 110 in almost every single mock. This is where he seems to go. He seems of all these backs after Bijan and Gibbs, the one who is most likely to go day two. I, if he didn't go day two, I would be very, very surprised. And, you know, it's kind of a theme as we move back here, because we, Moving past Charbonnet are kind of in a territory where there is a lot more uncertainty, especially with these running backs. We Every running back is going to go day two until they don't. There's things to like and things not to like. And at the end of the day, you know, if you are in love with the player, it, it's going to be difficult, you know, to, to evaluate where they're, where they're at when they don't go where you would like them to. That's where we get more into the nuance maybe of the personal team fit and the competition that they have going into the year. And it's really tough to have those conversations now before the NFL draft. So anything from here on forward, basically is with a little bit of a grain of salt. This is where, you know, where we have these players can, can move, not sig I don't expect it to move significantly, but there will be change within these picks uh, after the draft for sure. So as well, understand the risks that, that you have taking these players, like know that, Certain players we like more than others in this in this upcoming group, but nothing is guaranteed. And if you're banking on someone to get a specific role, it could really impact negatively impact the way that your team is set up next year and the year afterwards. 
if you're like, this guy's going to get this role, he's going to be my RB2, and we're going to move forward with this. Just have a little grain of salt. Um, my con- my uh, The way I'm conditioning myself with this class is that I think the new zero RB builds this year are actually going to be built by rookie running backs. But the problem is you don't know which ones yet, and so that's what we're talking about here. Certainly. So 110... This is where Will Levis, I think, is probably just a smash pick. It's not a quarterback I personally believe in, but everything is pointing to him going top 10. Um, He'll quickly fly down my board if he doesn't get that round one draft capital. That would certainly put him him below because talent-wise, I mean, him or, you know, a guy like Tim will get to head and hooker talent-wise later on. I don't think it's a huge separation, but you can't deny Will Levis has arm talent. He was just so inconsistent. He's got... We, we mentioned last time when we were talking uh, the the part one of this video, I said he's got like the finesse of Josh Allen, which is not a compliment. I don't mind darts in the red zone, but he can't throw with anticipation. He lacks footwork. You know, he get, I'm just concerned that he might get swallowed up by offense, by defensive lines, similar to like a player like Zach Wilson did once he got to the league. Uh, if he gets a draft catapult and you need quarterback, it's, it's just worth a late first, you know, every time. We get one of these quarterbacks. It's just worth the go. I mean, Daniel Jones is a guy there. Mac Jones, Justin Herbert, you know, in recent draft class. And it's almost when you just have to, you know, take a, a big swallow and just hope it works out for you. Will Levis here at 110, 111. I'm going to take Zay Flowers. There's two wide receivers I have pretty much neck and neck. I'm going to prefer one or the other, uh, depending where they go, most likely. I think they're very similar. Zay Flowers is... An exciting player. He's one where you go and you watch him play. It's really exciting. He's 5'9", 180. He can play all three levels. His hands are pretty good. Um, it's not his strongest suit. He tested really well athletically, He's but he's expected to be a top 60 pick in the league. And, and this is why he's ahead of the next group of running backs for me. It's just because I'm almost banking on him getting that draft capital. I, 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 I think I'd be very surprised if he fell outside the top 60. I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but that's my expectation to this point. Uh, he could he might be the most dangerous player in the open field in this class. Uh, you know, low four fours, really exciting. And I'm hoping that he can play outside. Um, that's really where he played. But I think, you know, his lightning play style could also work a little bit in the slot. So I'm hoping he ends up more than a deep threat as a player can line up outside. He can move inside and he can be someone who's actually a core part of an offense. And I'm just hoping he doesn't get relegated down to just a a niche type player in some kind of a system and that is a worry that is a risk here because his frame is pretty small his game isn't polished uh you know that size is always a concern and the production did come against you know acc competition this is the kind of player where i think he's an early second talent like an early second rookie pick but you're being forced to take him in the end of the first so don't hear what i'm not saying i like say flowers it it just is a tough pick just like a lot of the ones in this range i agree i think that this is where he should go but i also agree that based on the lack i i i think that this class was perceived a lot much differently even a year ago just based on the depth of the running backs that we thought some of the running backs were going to push these players down into the second where in a typical draft that's might where be where you see them but I, I agree that Flowers should be going 111 in drafts this year or 111 or, or maybe a little bit above, a little bit behind. But this is the area in which he should go because his talent and his play deserves it. But there should be more players between the top of the round and the bottom of the round and the players that we're picking right now. 
Agreed. That being said, I'm going to go with another wide receiver. Um, I think they're very similar in terms of their like just build things like that. But Zay Flowers is a little bit more uh, aggressive, a little bit more uh, feist in his game. But I'm going with Josh Downs. I think they're he has elite elite um, route running as well as being able to leverage that inside of the red zone. Uh, I think that to me that's just really big. I, I always like to find ways in which the players I'm, I'm looking at can gain an advantage because that way I know they're at least going to have an opportunity to get open, you know, have a little bit of mental gymnastics with the, with the defender, which always creates an opportunity for them to win. And I, I, I just think, I think downs has it. So with flowers and downs, I think they're, they're very tiered together, but I think they're also very good receivers and, Landing spot will determine a lot, but I think no matter where they go, they will be competitive on their rosters. Uh, for my next pick, I'm going with uh, Kendra Miller. I really like what I see out of his tape, and I understand that there was sharing of the backfield and this, that. He should have been more involved in the pass game, but to me, he's very electric, and I see hints of Kamara's... Um, ability to stay upright and take on a hit where he just has supreme body control and like core strength that he's going to be special when it comes to competing against cornerbacks and safeties a little bit smaller against you know linebackers but just based on the fact that if he gets outside i expect him to bust some pretty big plays and when they get in the red zone i think that he's going to be a very large threat on a roster on a on an nfl roster yeah, I mean, landing spot's going to be important for me with Kendry Miller, where he goes. And again, this group of running backs, I, I can't even criticize the order because at this point, I mean, that landing spot in the draft cattle is going to be huge. I think they all have parts of their game that I really, really like, but none of them are complete. So I agree that of those parts of the games for Kendry Miller. I do like moving forward. I'm going to take Michael Mayer here. I'm not going to really overthink it. My problem with Michael Mayer, which you talked about in the last, is the appreciation of tight ends after their rookie season is almost non-existent. And I hate taking players as a rookie who I don't feel like are going to get much higher in market. Sure, he could absolutely smash as a rookie and and jump significantly, but that rarely happens for tight ends. What I would say to anyone who has a player like Dalton Kincaid above Michael Mayer, as far as the Titans, because I think you're just overthinking it. Michael Mayer has been that dude for a couple of years. His production profile was gnarly. He's a really talented player. Just because he didn't run a 4-5, I don't care. We expected him to run a 4-7. He came out and ran a 4-7. That's not a problem. With the player he is, it's not a problem. He can. He's an excellent uh, route runner, excellent hands. And he can block. I mean, the, the teams are going to be salivating for this guy. He probably goes in the first round of the NFL draft. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see Mayor play. I'm really hoping he lands in Cincinnati. The next player I'm going to take is Sean Tucker, personal favorite here. I would be banging the drum for Sean Tucker to be like 108 to 110 because he checks almost every single box for me in terms of production, receiving ability, his uh, touchdown percentage in that off his touchdown rate in his own offense his size checked out well i think he's a faster version of aaron jones but my problem is is he doesn't break tackles or run as well as aaron jones and the nfl also doesn't seem to love the guy i mean 
of course, Aaron Jones did it. He was a back who did go day three and end up being very successful. But my fear is if the NFL doesn't love Sean Tucker and if he doesn't get that opportunity, he could just as much as I like him, he could just as easily end up being a guy fighting for any role on the team. And that would be really disappointing for me, especially as someone who's from Syracuse and rarely gets to root for a guy for Syracuse. But it's within the range of outcomes. So Tucker here is a player where I'm comfortable taking him at 203 without knowing. But I really struggle to take him higher than this without knowing exactly what his situation is like. Yeah, with with Mayor, I'm only concerned with making sure that he gets volume, the volume he he needs to be a top end tight end because he did that in college, but he was one of the probably the main target on that offense, and just hoping that he gets that same target share or same you know, in terms of an NFL successful target share for a tight end. So as long as he gets that, I, I think he'll be just fine. Tucker, I'm a little bit more concerned about just because it, like you said, his role may not be as defined. Just be, there's a lot of, a lot of factors that go into tailoring an offense or a game plan for a successful Sean Tucker play. But once again, we could be wrong and he could come in and he could just be gangbusters. But at this point in time, just based on how everything's kind of stacking up, I feel like this is this is a place in which he could go for sure. And then um, at 204, I'm actually going with Hendon Hooker. I'm a big believer in this guy. I think that if he falls to mid-second or even late second, he's a guy you should definitely trade up for. I personally want him to go to the Vikings. I'm a Packer fan, but I think that he fits well in that offense because of the fact that there's a couple things. One, Kirk Cousins, they have to make a decision on his contract, on, on his next contract soon, and how they're going to commit to that. And I feel like Hendon Hooker could be drafted this year. Um, take all the time he needs to learn this year. Take over next year. He he shows that he can deliver the ball downfield. He understands he can, or his illustrated, he can read coverages, especially playing in the SEC. And he can get the ball to playmakers. And he has the best playmaker in the game at wide receiver on his team. So, or he, he would if he was in Minnesota. So I think that Hooker's a good play here because I'm not even worried about his age, as we were talking about with Pickett here and on other pods, that it doesn't really matter if he's X age or X age if he's only playing for three years. Where with Hooker, yeah, he might be 27 when he starts, but he may end up being Minnesota's next quarterback that plays a decade. And I don't care that he started at 27 and I'm willing to take that risk because quarterbacks are hard to find in super flex. And um, one in the second round that really is much cheaper than trying to locate someone in the back or middle of the first uh, I'm down to take them every single time. My next player I'm going to take is uh, Zach Evans. I think uh, there has been a lot of talk about his Varying levels of production as well as changing teams and other backs having roles in the offenses that he's been in, but he is, he's violent, he's electric, he's capable of, of pass and running. And to me, this is, this is the type of back that a team will bring in as their RB2 and he'll find success and he'll start to garner more touches and gain a role that's consistent. And then that becomes a timeshare where then, you're having conversations kind of like, a, uh, what do you want to say, a Tony Pollard light in terms of where they could finish weekly in fantasy. And I like taking the risk here on him. Yeah, um, 
I think it's a good it's a good place to take Evans. He was a player who people liked a little more before the combine. He took a knock because he was a little lighter than people would have liked, and then didn't run, which you would have thought maybe the weight came because he was trying to get speed up. And I don't know. There's a lot of question marks with Zach Evans, which has pushed people off, and that could be that could lead to a really good value. Like you could end up getting a back that the NFL really likes in the mid second, which would be phenomenal. Um, you know, but of course the risk is banked in. You, you mentioned all, all the big spots, him, him moving, him never really having the whole offense to himself that decides the production, but everything's pointed to the NFL liking this guy. And he's one of the ones I'd probably bet on going day two. I know we said everyone's day two till they're not, but if he, doesn't go to two i'd be very surprised it's probably the only thing that would slide him back to you know the back of the second for me maybe early third is if he just doesn't get that and head and hooker yeah i mean it's landing spots could be key for this guy but you have to think whatever team spends a second round pick on head and hooker probably the only quarterback who does go day two they will probably give him an opportunity to at least compete for the job it, it all comes down to how you play the game and if you prefer a quarterback who you think has a real chance to win a competition, or maybe there's question marks around their situation. Like Kirk Cousins doesn't have that extension in there. They haven't really been able to figure it out. And anyone, I think anyone who is, who has the, the, the talent, at least at the level that Hen Hooker has, should be able to succeed in Minnesota. So that would be like a dream landing spot. My, my worry with Hooker is that he just, he goes to a spot where he doesn't, get that opportunity and that would be really disappointing it'd be tough to take a player for me like at that spot if he's not going to get the opportunity but as tim said quarterback is so dang hard to come by in super flex and if you spend a mid-second on a guy and he ends up getting a starting opportunity you're gonna be really happy and you're gonna be able to sell him for better than that cost so really you can't argue against it and i agree with you i think landing spot does matter for hooker but i don't think they're I think it would be a very difficult situation for a team that doesn't need a quarterback to take him. Like, I'm not saying that that couldn't be the case, but like, think about the situations in which he could play right now. Like just for example, even like Tampa, they're not, they're not tied into Baker. Like they signed Baker, but that doesn't mean that they have to be like Baker's our guy. Like there's no commitment there yet. And then any of the, the upper, um, the, the earlier first round picks, let's say they end up passing on quarterbacks for whatever reason, he could be someone that they decide to come uh, come back in on, on the set in the second round. Like, let's say the Colts really, really wanted Richardson and he goes, or they, they had their eyes set on Levis and someone traded up to get him or whatever. And they may end up just moving back and ended up getting Hooker, even maybe end of the first or early second or late second, however they want to work it. Just I'm thinking of ideas or uh, opportunities that could occur. But yeah, if he, if he goes to a team that has an established quarterback um, like the chargers or something. Yeah. He's not going two or four for me, but I guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that. But based on how I see him in the market as a quarterback and how I feel about him as a player, I think that early to mid second, even like I said, anything past mid, you should trade up and trade, trade up and draft this guy. I think it's adequate and pretty prudent and responsible to do. Yeah, a Colts competition would be nice. You would like to see him competing against a player like Gardner Minshew, but Minnesota-Tampa is a great shot as well. I mean, those were two teams that took a second-round stab when they didn't get guys that perhaps they were into. Like, they they weren't able to get the package right to move in on Justin Fields, and then they ended up waiting, and then day two, they took Tampa with Trask and then Minnesota with Mond, and that could be 
those would be two interesting spots. We'll see if they do it again. Moving I here. Think, I think Dalvin Cook's a big indicator on what they do with Kirk because I don't think they want to commit any more money to Kirk until they know what they're doing with Mick, or with with Cook. And it could be that they keep Cook all year, but that that probably means that they don't work on an extension until after the season. It is interesting with with Minnesota. Really, I don't I don't know what this team's plan is when we saw that with Adam Thielen. Um I didn't know if that was a clear up stuff to keep Cook or if it was part of getting the transition period in moving cook. I don't know. You could paint me either a narrative. I guess we will have to wait and see. 206. Gonna take gonna take um gonna take Hyatt here. I'm gonna take Jalen Hyatt. Six feet tall, a little a little lighter than I like, but he ran as as fast as anyone at the combine at four four. This is a guy who will get drafted and will have a role in the NFL. And he was relatively he was pretty he was very productive in college i know a lot of people uh discredit the you know the big game he had against alabama but i mean if there's one team to show out against uh, it's hard to knock a guy for beating the best as a junior i mean we have like 1200 yards 15 touchdowns it, it was an optimistic year there for jalen hyatt uh, i know a guy like cedric tillman wasn't there but with tillman he will get the capital and he has the traits that will translate to an NFL role. And it's hard to find that here at the 206, right? Now that we're past, there's no all-around studs. We want guys who ha- who are profiled to be very good at something specific because that's how they're going to find themselves a role. And that's what I like about Jalen Hyatt and why I think he's a really good pick here in the mid-second. Uh, I struggle when he's up there like 111, 112 or some other people like him next to like Zay Flyers and Josh Downs because I just don't like him as an all-around wide receiver like I do those two players. But he is, again, he's a very different player. Like if you weren't sold on Quentin Johnson and you could move out of 108, go pick up Mike Williams in the 206, uh, and you're just getting probably that production from Mike Williams if healthy, and then you get the dart throw on a Jalen Hat. I think that's a really winning move. 207. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take Israel Bonacanda. We're gonna take Izzy, our boy. I'd like to take him higher. I just don't know if the league's gonna love this guy, but he has he has really good size. I, I think he's got a good body for the league. I like the way that he plays. I think he's capable of catching passes. I think he's capable of handling a workload, and really excites me. He had good good production coming out of Pitt. Five uh, eleven. 215, put up 1,400 yards, 20-plus touchdowns. Um, I, I like Izzy. I just really hope he lands somewhere I can get super excited. He'll be someone who probably climbs up my board. He might be closer to that 205 spot if I do fall in love with where he goes. But he could end up being also like some of these backs last year who ended up finding good roles like a Brian Robinson or a Tyler Algier. That, I think that's a really comfortable um median outcome here for Israel. And that's why I'm just not taking a much higher than this, but it's a really safe spot in my opinion. And I see him go as far back as the late third in a lot of mock drafts at this point. And I think that's just overlooking a player who is built to be in the NFL. I agree. I think it's, uh, it's going to be a hard thing to do is to not find Izzy out of, out of Bonaconda, If I said that right. Find him a role in the NFL. Now, what the ceiling is, that's that's questioned. He's you know, I'm, I don't know, but uh, I really like what I see about his build and how he how he runs. 
he's very in attack mode, very much in attack mode when he gets the football, and I really like that. Like I said on um, another pod, I believe it was, I'm trying to think if it was with Tyler, but I said that he attacks downfield like like Dalvin Cook. He's not as fast, but the style or the mindset is the same, and I really appreciate that. I do love his size. I think he can handle a load for sure. Uh, Jalen Hyatt, uh, it's it's an upside play. I think there's times when if he has to run routes or try to get free underneath, sometimes it looks like he starts in mud, but he obviously gets up to speed pretty quickly. So the way that he's used will be fun to, to see it unfold. But I think it is an upside play where if he finds – the the right role and he sticks that he could have some some Will Fuller type of impacts and I remember how much Will Fuller was desired by a lot of teams because of the fact that he put up a lot of points in your flex spots to help you win weeks on his own and that's valuable. <laughs> we'll see if he learns how to run. I like you say he looks like he runs through mud because he picks his legs up weird. I almost especially when he was at the combine I was like he looks like he looks like Bambi out there. I'm not gonna lie. It looks mm-hmm. like he was given those legs yesterday. Um yeah. So I would I wouldn't mind seeing him be a little bit quicker footed to start. Like I said, when he tries to if if in press and, if, and he's not just running straight or running around, trying to get around the defender and go straight up field, he's trying to cut inside or maybe work a double move. Those are going to be the situations that will really make her break him. And I don't know how it's going to go, but I'm interested because of the fact that his, his ceiling is so high, as well as if he's just. If he turns out to just be a speed guy, he could be a better NFL player than he is a fantasy player. And those are some Very things true. that we need to we need to realize or kind of prepare ourselves for, which I'm not saying is the case, because like I said, this is a good risk reward situation in at the 206 in the middle of the second to do so. It's about where you're getting them. Like those types of players, I typically just fade, you know, at the late first, early second. But after that, it, it's worth it is worth the risk. Yeah, and that's I think that's where the differentiation comes in is that to me he's not a first round wide receiver uh in terms of fantasy and some people believe that he is and I think that that could really burn a team that's trying to build properly and it's a lot more palatable in the second round mid to late second or however you want to situate um 208 we good? Yeah. All right. 208 I'm going to go with Ro- Roshan Johnson. I really like him as a running back. And I think the idea that, oh, he played with Bijan, he's only going to be X player, is not how I want to kind of profile this guy. If you look at him, I'm not seeing him in the. I'll just type him in, but keep talking. But so basically, if you removed any sort of Bijan on Texas in terms of just watching them play. This guy's violent. He has great there. There's certain things that I look for in running backs and what he has in his legs to keep them going, keep driving forward. He's going to finish runs like almost nobody else in this class. There might be two backs that have a chance to do what he does in terms of finishing runs. He's got a nose for, for the first down nose for the end zone. And he competes all the time. I, I think that, Roshan has a chance to be one of the starters out of this group in the second round. I think that he has a better chance to be a starter than to just be like a second back on a team. And with the way that running back contracts are going and running backs are aging out, 
this may be a future play depending on where he lands, but it also could be a play that from day one in camp, he's competing for the number one spot. Oh yeah. And then 209, I'm going with Marvin Mims. I think the way that I view both Zay Flowers and Josh Downs, Marvin Mims should be pretty close to their play style. But I do like both Flowers and Downs better as route runners and those that compete, where Mims is very much speed, but he also can work underneath, just not it's not his his like number one offering that he ha- he has for an offense, but I think he has staying power. I think he'll be a wide receiver two or three on an NFL roster with touchdown upside. Two oh nine to me is I'm basically taking the risk of players, basically players that you could take at one twelve at two oh nine, and I love doing that. I know that in a lot of mocks or a lot of ADP, he's falling to the third round, and I think that's a travesty. I think he could even go higher than this and may even like tail end the Zay Flowers, Josh Downs run in some drafts. It's possible depending on how he gets drafted. But at 209, I'm I'm completely satisfied with picking Marvin Mims. I love the pick. I, I was hoping, I was really hoping you would leave Marvin Mims for me here at 210. <laughs> uh, it's probably my favorite wide receiver in this range Uh, it's not the most exciting guy like do i think marvin mims is going to go out there and be as you said the wide receiver one on a team no but would it shock me if he came in and had like a brandon cooks type career and just be really solid no it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me i think he has that in his range of outcomes so i really i really do like that type of player that type of potential at the 209 a 210 here Gonna take the first Vegas-born tight end here. It would Dalton Kincaid um, out of Utah. A little late of a bloomer, maybe a little undersized here, like 6'3, 245. But he he's really exciting. I mean, he profiles to be one of the more athletic tight ends in this class, one of the highest upside of tight ends we've seen in recent classes. And there's been a lot of buzz about him going potentially round one. And I think he certainly goes round two not just day two and that excites me now with Dalton Kincaid just tight end everything we were saying about how they don't necessarily rise in value even if they are semi-productive as a rookie is why I wouldn't be taking Dalton Kincaid in the early second like I see some people taking him but around that two three turn I think is a completely appropriate place to come in and get the shot in on Dalton Kincaid because if he gets a really nice laying spot and shows some production year one he's not gonna be cheaper than that now, if he hits, as we said, he might not go higher than an early second in market. But I think that's I think that's appropriate for a player here. I view it like the risk I was taking on frying with a couple of years back. It's a completely different player. I'm strictly talking the risk. Um, you know, a couple injuries in his career, but I, I, I like what we saw out of his last season there in Utah. Relatively productive. Going don't get here, and then two eleven. I'm going to follow it up and go with. I'm going to take Ty J Spears here. Somebody who I think could get a lot of buzz. I, He's been a little cooler in the streets recently, but he's someone where if he gets a nice spot or he does actually slide into day two, which I think is the biggest knock I have against Tajay Spears. Uh, if he's not in there as well, I will type him in. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, yeah, the Tulane players might not have made the cut, but I don't necessarily know if he's going to get that. But if he goes round three to a team like New Orleans, I'm going to be really excited that's the kind of fit that i think would be spectacular at his pro day he ran a 
low or a high four four. So if you want to say roughly that could be like a four five combo type speed, that's pretty darn good for his size because he came in and he ended up measuring where people wanted. He broke two hundred pounds, five ten. Um, again, he went to Tulane, so smaller program, but he put up like sixteen hundred yards uh, on the ground as well as two hundred fifty in the air and scored twenty touchdowns. So. This is an extremely productive player with good size, good speed. It he is exciting. Again, it just it, it's we are in that range again. I hate saying, "Oh, we need to see where the NFL takes him, where the NFL likes him." But for Spears, it couldn't be more true. Like I, I'm not going to be telling you, "Oh, you got to go grab Dajay Spears in your drafts at 201," and you know, and then he goes day four into a depth chart where he's pretty buried and just ends up being a special teamer because he'll be a special teamer as a rookie. He'll be a really good special teamer. It's just, we obviously want to see him play as a running back as well. Yeah. I think it's a fair spot for him to go. Uh, I don't, there's a lot of Aaron Jones comps right now. And the thing is, Aaron Jones is so special that like any guy that matches his build or his 40 time should not be compared, but I do like, the production that Tajay Spears had in college. Like he was obviously the team's best player. They had one of their best seasons in a really long time as a team. And it was because of Tajay or Tajay, however you want to say it. So I do think that this is an adequate spot for him. Definitely worth the risk there. There's definite fall off in the RB room coming up. So he should definitely be picked before that cliff because the risk is definitely worth the reward. Kincaid, I actually think Kincaid, uh, to me, Kincaid's tight end one in this class for Dynasty. But I can understand the the Mayer love because of his the complete game that Mayer has. But to me, I feel like Mayer is so dependent on volume where Kincaid is much more of a playmaker that it makes it easier for him to come into an offense as a playmaker where Mayer may be used more as a second secondary blocking tight end where he may get some catches, but like because he's so volume-based, it may not equate to great fantasy production. So they're to me, they're much closer together, together and getting one eight picks later than the other. I'm going to take Kincaid every time because yeah. that's that's almost free. You're, you're yeah, looking I mean, at a similar round. A similar argument could be if you like a player like Pat Fryermuth in drafts versus a player like Chigakonkwo. You know, like they're different players. They offer different things, and one is – a lot cheaper than the other. It just depends what you're looking for out of the position. Mm -hmm. And then for me, I'm going to, I'm going to end the second round off with Devin a chain or however you say <laughs> his last name. Cause I know there's oh, yeah. been some fun memeing of it to me. The, this is the risk that are the spot in which I would be willing to take a risk on a chain. The reason being is there is no power behind his pads. Whoever tells you that, Oh, he did finish runs. They, they showed you a highlight like and I get it. If an offense knows how to use him, that will be great. But what is the volume? Is he going to be the guy that needs to bust off a 60 yard touchdown for you to be like, see, told you so. Here's 12 points I can play him with. But he ends the game with 14 like that's that, I, which is a fine day in, fi in, in, in fantasy. But is that something that's repeatable week to week? And that's what I'm concerned with. I think he's a great athlete, but maybe he ends up as just a special teams guy who does punt and kick returns. And then a couple plays on offense that you're just hoping to bust it. And to me, that's not worth the risk uh, in the first, first round or in front of the players that to me will have a 
much better opportunity to define roles on their team like the ones that were taken in front of them. Okay. Uh, my next pick at 301, I'm taking Tank Bigsby. He has shown to me, like through his, his film to me, he has shown enough where you should believe that he is capable of, at playing running back at the next level. But I'm less confident in the fact he'll actually get a, a role worth using in fantasy. He'll probably be more, in my opinion, be more of a replacement due to injury where he moves up into a role than a, than a team going out and targeting Tank saying, hey, this is my guy. I do appreciate the fact he stayed at school even though the team was awful and he didn't transfer out. Respect him for that because he stuck through the, the crappy times and still produced pretty well. Shows some violence on tape. Shows some good feet on tape. I just think it's a tier below or a little bit level below those other running backs we've taken earlier. And just the likelihood that he takes and gets a productive enough role on his own is just lower to me. And that's why he's a third round pick. Yeah, it's one of those guys where you feel like he's capable of doing everything, but he's just not great at doing anything. So if he was put into a role, I agree. Potentially there is the ability for him to do something with it, but I also wouldn't expect the team to go out there and make Tank their guy. Uh, we're going to try to fire through this third round. So Tim and I, for the, the remaining picks here in the third, we're just going to give a quick one thing we like, one thing we don't like about these players. Because again, so much can change for these guys. That's why we didn't include a fourth round here for you at this point. 302, I'm going to lock in. I'm going to go with Darnell Washington, the other Vegas tight end boy here. What I like is the size. You can, you cannot, you cannot, this guy stands out everywhere. You you can't critique that. He's big, fast, strong, really exciting. What I don't like is I just am concerned if he's going to get pigeonholed and just like kind of like a swing tackle, extra tight end type player, and he doesn't necessarily ever get volume for fantasy relevance. I think that's the biggest concern with Darnell. Does he actually go out there and catch passes? If he does, you hit gold. If he doesn't, it could end up being one of those picks where he's fun to look at, but he doesn't produce significantly. 203, I'm going to go with Cedric Tillman. This is a player where a lot of people really liked him in Tennessee. The other guy there too, Hyatt, but he just had a lot of injuries. He couldn't stay on the field, but he's 6'3", 215, and that size isn't easy to come by, especially someone who has made plays and who people would have expected to be more productive if healthy. Uh, this is a guy where like the ceiling you could see is like a Corlin Sutton. That would be really exciting for what you're getting here out of the third round, but his floor could be someone who's completely irrelevant like you know maybe not even going and getting uh ever securing a, a a spot where he's getting consistent snaps so cedric tillman and darna washington for me yeah i think washington's main concern for me is his ability to play make and create his own opportunities for targets and like you said if he's a good blocker he stays in and then i i really like tillman i think tillman's probably the last receiver you can take a risk on thinking that he could be um, potentially a, a wide receiver one at some point, not saying he ever hits that, but I think the skill sets there, the 40 time was good, builds good. Can he stay healthy, but he competes. He understands the, the majority of the route tree. And he's, like I said, he's a big uh, receiver who can play in those, um, uh, those positions that most wide receivers now coming out are not able to, match up based on the demands of the of that route tree he could end up being a late second like honestly i mean i i really like the player he, he i would be very excited coming out of the early third with this guy 
yeah, I think he's closer to late second. It's just uh, in this mock, this is where he ended up falling. And I, I think, yes, late second, I wouldn't have any problem taking him. My uh, 204 is going to be Rasheed Rice. There was a lot more hype uh, uh, on him about two months ago, but I I think here he he's uh, worth the risk because he can work downfield. Uh, there were certain things with cont- contested catches with him that I was concerned about, but with it being the third round, I think there's less and less of a pool to pull from, and I think he's the best of the rest and definitely worth a shot just for the upside. And then... 205 is going to be Butte. To me, I'll I'll never take Butte in the second round just based on all the peripheral things that are negative about him, as well as he ran slow. And it looked like he was starting to reduce his ability to play make from year to year to year to year. And that feels more or less like colleges and defenses caught up to him versus him continuing to improve. So I think that his ceiling is pretty low. You're probably his ceiling will probably be a wide receiver three, wide receiver four on a team. But you know there could be an opportunity becomes a two, and that's and that's why you're taking him in the third round. But I just I don't see it. Yeah, I, I like I like the pick. I'm going to keep her moving here. I'm going to go with Xavier Hutchinson as the 306 pick here. I think it's a really good spot to take Xavier Hutchinson. He could end up just being a backup. Uh, or a special teamer and not really impact a team. Or I think he can go out there and be at some point a wide receiver two or wide receiver three on a team. I think he has a really well-rounded skill set. He's a type of player who can play on the perimeter um, and hopefully can play in different levels on the field. What he did well is, you know, he's got, he's, he's got good quickness. Uh, He's, he should be good against press coverage. We got to see him, you know, he had a thousand yards from of scrimmage the last two seasons. Uh, he seemed to get better every single year. Um, and at this point in the rain, at this point in the draft, I mean, the hit rate on round three wide receivers is so low. I think with Xavier Hutchison, you're getting a guy who at least you've seen the production, you've seen him go out and be an important part of his offense. And, um, yeah, I think that's I think it's a really fine pick. I, I really like taking Xavier Hutchinson here in the third. I see him go much later in a lot of drafts. Again, I guess we'll have to see where he goes. I'm gonna go with Chase Brown here. This is just somebody again who I don't necessarily believe, like we said with Tank Bigsby, that any team is gonna go out and make Chase Brown their guy. He, he's he's a later prospect. Uh the you know, he, there's questions about his his blocking ability there's questions about his all-around game there's he didn't look that great at the senior bowl but then he came out and redeemed himself with the combine where he tested pretty well and showed hey i got the size to come in and be a good nfl backup and i'm hoping for chase brown that's what he ends up being and at 307 you're getting a guy where he lands in a spot where you think there's any chance for him to take over or come in in case of Maybe it's an injury or it's a guy with a potentially over-looming suspension or a guy who's been in uh, the news a lot lately. One of those spots, I'm sure you can infer what players I'm talking about, could be a good spot for Chase Brown because like we said with Tank, if he steps in, I think he's got enough size and athleticism to give some production, whether he can take that next step, whether or not he can be a blocker. Um made we'll see you know maybe he just ends up being a committee back a special teamer not in the league at all who knows but at 307 i'll take i'll take the shot on chase brown yeah it's, it's fine to take shots on running backs for sure it's just 
we're getting to that territory of backups hoping to find an opportunity at some point. Hutchinson underrated uh, route running for sure. Um, Two oh or three oh eight. I'm going with Dwayne McBride, another running back shot. I understand he didn't have much in the receiving game. To me, he seems like a very good runner uh, on the ground in terms of even having a plan for the next level and how he wants to attack defenders, how he wants to finish runs. I think that's important. Once again, if he's not contributing in the passing game, it's a limited ceiling. You may just be looking for a role in which he takes over, becomes RB2 either due to injury or earning it in camp, and then you're looking for touchdowns. But at this point in time, you're kind of just looking for upside from certain positions, and if the wide receivers don't have it, I recommend going running backs, obviously, or quarterbacks if you can find one. But at this point, there's not quarterbacks that are worth taking. And then 309, I'm going to go with Parker Washington. I understand he doesn't have the production, but once again, I'm looking at traits and I'm looking at how can this player stay in the league? How can this player contribute? And I think he offers some dynamism and I, I don't mind as I would, I would prefer there'd be other players to kind of push some of these players down. I don't mind taking the risk 309, but he's probably a, a 312, 401 type of profile. So we'll see uh, how the draft kind of determines how these players play out in the next um, you know month and a half. And it, there could be some shifting around, but I do like the upside if he finds a role on a team and he shows that athleticism. Yeah, again, I mean, you need something to hang your hat on here. I think with Parker, Parker Washington, you just would you would have liked to have seen a little more of that production. And, you know, there's size, but he, he does do things well that will get him out there. With Dwayne McBride, one of the better runners, pounders on the ground, is just like a historically, historically low involvement in the passing game. I mean, that's the biggest red flag. But we're here at 308. Um, no one's perfect. At 310, I'm going to be taking, we'll be taking Evan Hole here not someone i'm super excited about like coming out of northwestern i would have liked to have seen more production i mean he was he, but he was involved in the passing game you know in extent he had you know, five over 500 yards over 50 catches last season um and his size is pretty darn good only 5 11 10 and he ended up running a 447 at the combine so this is a guy who definitely was a winner of the combine because he came in he measured really well and then his athletics turned out pretty darn good and he's someone who can catch passes and with the size you think can hopefully do more than that so evan hole here at 310 is a player i think is worth the risk because i think he'll make a fine backup somebody who could step in and do well with opportunity i'm 311 i'll round it out taking Deuce Vaughn simply because I have to respect the production. You're talking production profiles. This guy might be second to none, even B. John Robinson in this class. What he did at Kansas State was insane. He had he had over 1,800 yards two years in a row and 44 touchdowns over, or sorry, 34 touchdowns over the last two seasons. Like it was insane. But he's 5'5, five, five, uh, like what, 170 pounds. Uh, it's it's really it's really tough to get behind that size for Deuce Vaughn. If he if he was if if he's going to be great in the NFL, he's going to be an absolute outlier, right? Because uh, even a player like Darren Sproles, we were talking before. I mean, he never really had a huge fantasy impact. I mean, he would make splash plays. He'd be really exciting. He had roles in teams, and you'd have to hope with Deuce Vaughn that he's more than a special teamer or just that you know getting five to seven carries a game type player. Um, because he's someone who thrived with volume 
But then again, it's like how much volume can a running back who's 5'5", 170, 180 get, right? So with Deuce Vaughn, this this could just be a burnt pick, but we can't ignore the production here for Deuce Vaughn. So I'm, I'm fine spending the 311 just to see what we got and see if a team that takes him uh, will actually use him. Yeah, Hull showed you picked both guys you got. They both have good historical production as well as like having the majority of the role in the backfield. So I can understand where like Hull may have an opportunity to step in and be a situational type of starter when it comes to injuries or whatnot. Me for Vaughn, it's just too much of an outlier, too much of an anomaly. I mm -hmm. you're you're banking on on a unicorn. You're banking me, on him just, being Jesus. That's just it's <laughs> yeah. so hard for me. Um, I'm gonna finish out the third round. I'm gonna take Luke Musgrave. Personally, I prefer Laporta, but I also think I can get him later. So if I can lock up two tight ends that I think potentially have the opportunity to start, I have no issue doing that with a third and fourth round pick because of the fact that um that's kind of the way I want to build the tight end. My tight end room is cheap picks, wait and see, get rid of them. If they don't do anything, rerun the process. And Musgrave has shown that he actually is one of the better receiving tight ends in this class, showing capabilities, both short, long inside, outside against linebackers, against safeties. And there's really not a matchup that doesn't work well for him. It's just, he, he can stay healthy. So he could end up being a glass cannon and not be not be able to stay on the field, but uh, we'll end up seeing what happens. Yeah, uh, I, li I like the I like the pick here for Luke Musgrave. He's kind of one of those guys where I think he's just he's just an athlete. I, I was joking, looking, watching the combine, saying everyone who plays tight end seems to be somebody who was just too big for lacrosse. And this is the type of guy I mean, Luke Musgrave was. <laughs> it's what he was. I mean, he was he was a lacrosse player. He was a skier. And then he grew up to be, you know, six foot five, 250 pounds. And it's like, you, lacrosse probably is in the spot for you. Let's go see what you can do playing tight end. He comes from a football family. His uncle is a coordinator, I think, with the Broncos. And his, and his father, and, and he played in the NFL. And his father played. I don't think he played in the NFL, but I remember he played at Oregon, if I remember that correctly. So Luke Musgrave, he's just got he's just got football in his blood. He's got athleticism in his blood. Uh at the 312, when we're we talked in the last segment about how we just like stashing these athletic tight ends, especially in your two tight end tight end premium leagues, using these third, fourth round picks and guys who can sit on your taxi because even if they hit, you don't have to take them off that first year and waste a roster spot. I think Luke Musgrave is just the perfect thing with that. I agree with Tim that I like Sam Laporta a lot. I mean, the player who had more production is I was all time leader in that department. Um, he can block as well, but he's just not as exciting athletic. Like he might be capped. Like his best case scenario would be Ertz in a dream world. I just don't necessarily know if yeah, obviously you can't expect that. So I, I like going Luke Musgrave here. You could always take Sam Laporta at the theoretical four Oh one. Moving past this guys. I think now that we rounded out, these three rounds, we're just going to go through, you know, with each player here and just kind of quickly toss them into the last three classes. We tiered beforehand where the last three drafts, every player you see there in those tiers we drafted in the last video. Again, if you want to pause and take a look at the draft board, exactly where these players went. 
you can do so. You will notice every single class there seems to be what we felt was a ginormous cliff in both the early slash mid second and then again at the late second. So that's just something to note when we look at these player tiers. I will also say tier one, tier two, tier three, or tier four. That's not tier one through four of all dynasty assets. It's just tiers amongst the last three classes. Because one thing for Tim and I is we think there's there's a considerable gap here between tier four and tier five. And that's where there are some other veterans in the league who kind of fit. So it's just something to keep in mind when we place these guys. Nothing here is perfect. Again, it's relative. There could be change with these rookies depending where they go in the draft what teams they go to and they might be at the very top of some of these tiers if we're ranking them you know uh chronologically or they could be at the very end of a tier chronologically um again the order the players are in is in a tier they're not ranked so we're not necessarily looking here and saying justin fields is significantly below trevor lawrence because he's down two spots they're in the same tier their values relatively similar nothing's perfect it's rigid we'll start here with b john robinson plus tier rankings are always better than numerical linear rankings because you don't know where the breaks are where the value dips are when you get into tiers you get a little bit better idea what you're looking at all right so i think we'll start here with b john kind of falls into this third tier here. I know we love the player, but he is right there with Brees Hall. I think these two guys will compete for people's RB1 in Dynasty right off the bat. And Jonathan Taylor for us is just still in that conversation. The age is there. He could be as good a chance as anyone to be the RB1 in Fantasy next year. Age is still on his size, and he has historical production. So people fading Jonathan Taylor sticking below these guys, I think is just short-sighted. Tim, you want to slide in? Bryce Young and CJ Shroud, because these are two guys that we have kind of tiered together. Yeah, I'm going to put them in uh, tier four. I think the production, at least anticipated how you should think about them, is mm -hmm. that they could, they should be more likely leaned back towards the back end of QB1s and not the top end of QB1s. Yeah. Am I? You're all good. Keep talking. Okay. Oh, you're, oh, I'm sorry. You're doing it. Yeah. So just based on their ceiling mm -hmm. that they should both be in tier four and uh, just where we're looking at the players comparable to them, both in front and behind them, you're looking at, you know, early third, mid third round value in a startup. And it's really just going to depend on how your first few rounds went. If you're able to go quarterback early, you may end up leaning into a different position but I feel like they're both safe to be back-end QB1s currently with the opportunity to rise. Obviously, we're not looking at – it's not best case. It's not worst case. It's most likely case. All right, so the next three player, the next – yeah, the next three guys we all kind of have in the same grouping. But personally, I think all three of these guys could almost be in their own tier, like a 4B as opposed to – putting them in five because I think Tim would agree with me. I'd rather have Jackson with the Jigba, Jameer Gibbs and well, Anthony Richardson is different. His is more on the market value, the perceived value of others, the rushing upside necessarily what we think of him as a quarterback. Cause we're both lower on him as a talent. They all slide in better than everyone in five, but they would be in the back end of four. So we're going to put them in tier five here for you. Just not to overvalue these rookies, but really this, these are three guys that you could, you could argue are 
immediately after that tier four. That's like round three, the middle of round three of your super flex startup draft. And for that reason, you know, you could argue they're they're pretty good values at that spot. Now, Tim, you want to walk us through, we got three guys here who kind of slide into tier six. I think you could say the same thing potentially about where they would rank amongst those other six in a specific, but who do we have here now kind of in this next group? Yeah, we have Addison, Quentin Johnson, and Zach Charbonnet. I think that if you look at tier six, it gives you a decent uh, idea as to what we feel they're either ceiling production value is currently obviously Quentin Johnson, as we, as I said, could go much higher or much lower than this, but I feel like Addison and Charbonnet, this is very safe in terms of expectation because I think their floor is high and I think they're very safe assets. I agree. Now this is where we, we, we mentioned before, this is where things really open up, right? Because you got to be in love with these players to rank them much higher. And as we so much can change, people were in love with Sky Moore last year. They would have told you, oh, well, Sky Moore is more like a tier five, tier six player being at this spot in your rookie drafts. And you see the risk where a player like that doesn't even find his footing and he is worth, you know, like a third round pick now, you know, versus that 108 where you were taking him last year. So this next group, we have a whole, but we got nine players coming out kind of in this next grouping. Um, of course, the order is a little more subjective at this point in the year. We're going to have everyone basically from Will Levis down to Jalen Hyatt here in this next grouping. Tim, how do you feel? How do you just feel about this group in general? And like, what if we are saying that it's it's such a big group? What trade advice necessary do you have? Like, are you comfortable if you love if you have the two hundred one sitting there and taking Kendra? Or is this maybe a situation where you're looking about finding a veteran, banking on that that rookie hype, or are you trading back? What's the strategy here? I think there's a lot that goes into team makeup that will help guide this question. If I'm rebuilding and I don't have running backs, I think taking a guy like Kendra is, is a really good risk. I also really think that flowers and downs are safe with potential upside. But like a guy like Levis... I might be drafting him to trade him if I'm drafting him. But the, also, it might be very difficult to acquire quarterbacks. So then you you might have to just take the risk on Levis. So a lot of this comes with like risk floor and risk upside at the same time. If you're competing, it's more likely, it, once you get past like those A-Flowers downs, it's more likely that trading for a vet will give you better week-to-week production to start. And it may be what puts your team over the edge if you needed an extra starter or it rotates a guy to the bench that gives you a better situational start. So there's there are things that come into this. I've even offered trades of moving back from the 202 to like, uh, I think like mid second and I get a late second and I trade a mid third or an early third back. So there's there's an opportunity even to like navigate within the second round to hit different tiers or hit different players because there may be players that end up dropping. Or you kind of have an idea how your team, how your, your league views players, how they like to build teams. So you may end up get, being able to target, let's say you're interested in head and hooker. Maybe you get them at 210 and you get something else on top by moving back. There's so many ways to navigate. It's more or less you're going you're gonna to have to communicate a lot with your, with your league mates or have a good grasp of how they like to play. Have a good grasp of what you want your roster to end up being 
after the draft, which it doesn't have to be complete, but just have a plan, have an idea how you want to attack. Because once you can do that, then it makes it much easier to pivot or be agile and make different moves that will help build your roster either denser or better towards the top, just depending on what, what needs or moves you need to make. Absolutely agree. <sighs> yeah. And it's, again, I, I would love some of these players, like, again, like the talker, the hooker, the Evans, like they could end up sliding back. It's really hard to say right now that I'm definitively wanting one of those names over, you know, players like Chica Conquo or Khalil Herbert. Um, but Mainly here, you got to look like where we took, right? We took Sean Tucker at 203. We took Hooker at 204. I think that's kind of what we're saying is that spot in the draft, there's going to be a player that we kind of prefer either within the tier of the names above or slightly above the next group of names. We're trying to give just an approximate market value, a little context to where these picks go. And then also, again, comparing them to these past classes. Now this next group again, it's just a big, it's just a big group. There's not a lot separating these guys. You heard when Tim and I were going. I mean, we could go who you talk to, go find your favorite analyst. They're gonna have this whole group of players kind of shuffled. Um, but I think there's a lot of upside and you know a lot of talent here. So this is another big group here. We have kind of from Israel Bonaconda down to Cedric Tillman. Tim, what in the third round is what's your favorite thing to go for in the third round, right? Like you're sitting on the clock. Do you tend to prefer these wide receivers? We took a lot of running backs that were, they're going to be backups and we're just hoping that they could potentially be handcuffed type players who step into good opportunities. Do you prefer those players? Or do you prefer wide receivers where you think they're really good at something specific or do you go, you know, tight end, maybe day three quarterback? Well, usually what I like to do is I, I, I'm looking for value in terms of something that can grow. Like if it's a quarterback or if it's a running back that potentially can step into a, a, a role. But the issue that I'm having with this draft class is that it's not as deep as I'd like it to be in comparison to other classes, other years where like my, just for example, my target last year in the third round mid to late was always Greg Dolchich. Always. So I don't want to say, hey, I, I just take running backs in the third round, but I like upside. I don't mind missing on a third and fourth round pick, completely wiping those guys clear of my roster within a year. If, you know, let's say you find one every, you know, two or three drafts that just becomes a staple on your roster. That's way more valuable than finding these two down grinder replacement backs that you're just hoping to have a couple weeks in being that there's no trade out in our drafting for this mock. I would be much more likely to trade like the pick I used on McBride for multiple fourths to just throw at players. Because as you see here, there are no quarterbacks taken. There are some quarterbacks that are worth taking in the draft to throw on your taxi squad. So that would be a move I'd be more interested in doing. Or like I said, Parker Washington is more like a 312 or 401 to player to me. That's because in most draft classes, he's not a guy that before the fourth fourth round, unless you really like him, you're trying to target. So the the it's just kind of a hollowed out draft class in certain parts. Like the second round has a lot of opportunity, but there's not a lot of definite um, 
yeses or or like for certain that this player is going to do this. So that's why in certain parts of like the first round and even talking about Mims in the second, I feel like those receivers are pretty safe at the end of the first round. And even being able to take Mims at 209 feels pretty safe. But they may not offer the same upside as hitting on a running back or two in the second round who ends up becoming a starter. So there's just different ways that like you can build. But for me, I'm always going to be more toward more advocating taking risk and trying to hit to where a guy that's way more valuable as a multi-year starter or someone that you know can contribute much larger on your team and not worry about missing because filling your 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 roster up with a bunch of placeholder players that are just roster cloggers after a year or two that you're lucky to get a third back out of trading them away to me that's that's not valuable and that only creates noise on your team that doesn't create better defined roles or the ability to um, set lineups on a week-to-week basis where they're not really giving you options. They're only giving you options if. So they're better than the players that aren't worth rostering. But I would rather take the risk on players that have a chance at potential upside, which is why we talk about the athletic tight ends late or fourth-round quarterbacks that in this draft class. So it, it just give or take depending on the draft class, but it's always trying to identify upside. Okay. So for you audio listeners, this is kind of where we put a break here from kind of the mid second at 207 where we had Israel about Aconda, all the way down to that early third through 303 where we had Cedric Tillman kind of as the next little grouping. Rashi Rice, Keishan Butte kind of coming in next where we had that grouping with like Gabriel Davis on with people Jones. We had our next group of a couple handcuff backs that's kind of the theme as we go back if you want to pause take a look this is kind of where it falls in where it really does start to thin out it's more of a pick your guy tim before we get out of here what would you say is like your biggest takeaway from this exercise like going back redrafting the last couple of classes what's your biggest takeaway that it thins out much faster than you think and even the players you think you're getting value on and in certain parts of the draft class, it may be better just to kick that, that pick either down the, down the, the line or trade it for a productive player that someone else has discounted on their roster and kind of move forward that way. Yes. If we look at like later picks in like the second round of each draft class, like we had Hertz and Gibson in the, and, and, uh, Sorry, IU get 206 in the 2020. And then we had Friar Muth and Amon Ra w- within the last six of 2021. There are opportunities to find those players, but there's so many more opportunities to bust. And that's something just to kind of pay attention to because if you're looking and planning on this guy hitting and this guy being the, the guy on my roster, you might want to look at a different direction to find something a little a little safer. I could not agree more it's one of those things where i always hear people say when they're making deals they're getting rid of certain wide receivers like well uh, it's fine i mean uh, justin jefferson was 111 t higgins was 204 Pittman was 205 Ayuk was 206 it's like i'm gonna say brown the next class was 208 sure if you can get a crystal ball and you pick the correct guy all power to you. But as you see, as Tim mentioned, there are just so many more misses. I mean, you got to miss the Jalen Rager, Keyshawn Vaughn, Henry Ruggs, Enzo Mins. That's four in a row, you know, at premium spot in the draft where you're getting it wrong. 
you know, Zach Moss's, LaVisca Chenault's, um, you know, Trey Sermon, the next class, you know, Terrace Marshall. Uh, sorry, Tim, but like players like this, it's, <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot of these misses, you know, and it's, it's an important thing to remember that your, your odds of missing are significantly higher than hit, than hitting on those last picks. So unless if you're accumulating a lot of dart throws, I just wouldn't bank on, Oh, I have, 108 in this class that's going to get me my wide receiver three i'd look into alternative routes i'd look into ways to get more chances to find your team's wide receiver two or your team's wide receiver three because hitting on that pick it's definitely not a given and sometimes it's even hard to tell if you have hit on the pick right because the the ups and downs you know at certain points if we had done this last year or two years ago players like cam Akers would have been a lot higher in our redraft players like um darnell mooney la a year ago would have been a lot higher in our DeAndre redraft swift. you know deandre swift oh certainly so you know it's it is really difficult to to make that assertion to just guarantee you're going to hit on those picks so i think that's a really good takeaway and a really really good thing to end on here so i, I had one other thing i wanted to say understand the market of of even the early picks like 102 you Obviously, you should go go quarterback there, especially if you need a quarterback. But 102 may garner you even a higher caliber player than a, a back end or close to back end QB1, like I'm anticipating some of these quarterbacks to be. Obviously, they could have higher upside, but to to even try to project them higher would just be um, irresponsible. But I've seen people discuss trades for top tier wide receivers for the 102, which could end up being better point scores and better. Um, making your lineup whole than trying to figure out the risk on a rookie quarterback. So just even if you don't make a move, just understand in your leagues what the market is because you'll be more prepared even in negotiating trades back, forth, moving up or down in the draft class, what it's going to cost, how these veterans are valued, and who needs quarterbacks. That's really sound advice. And even if it's not for a different position, like if you are a true 102 owner and your team's not that good, uh, you might, you don't expect them to compete. You might want to turn that 102 and go get like a Kyla Murray. Like even if you're moving on quarterbacks, you know, managers, when we get to the draft, they're going to see CJ Stroud go number one to the Panthers. And they're going to, I got to do anything to get this guy. Kyle Murray's might not even play football next year. And you can probably get in a lot of leagues, Kyle Murray plus. For that 102. So even if you aren't looking for other positions because you really do want to lock in that quarterback, there are other options than necessarily taking that guy. Because as much as we like Stroud, um, there's no guarantee that he's a great, you know, that he's a hit at the NFL level, or even if he is a hit, that his ceiling is like the other players we have seen go at that range, like Trevor Lawrence, certainly, or Justin Herbert and players like this. So 17 points a game from a quarterback is not a game. A game-changing move, a.k.a. the way that we've been seeing Dak Prescott, who's been a QB1, high-end QB, QB2, but most likely back QB1, where you might not want to make a splash somewhere else. So just kind of keep that in mind. Maybe even guys like Dak are overvalued in your league, and you can move them and end up getting different players that help you produce more points. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I like Dak Prescott, but you could – you could 100% argue it's just the expensive Kirk Cousins and whether or not that like guaranteed where the ceiling might not be there, that like guaranteed 
fringe QB one, this slightly younger than a player like Kirk Cousins, certainly valuable. How much that's valuable to you, your window, what assets you have. Certainly agree with your take there, Tim, that Dak Prescott versus the spots in this class is something to take a good look at. That being said, guys, if you enjoyed, please like, subscribe. You can follow all things JWB at JWB underscore FF. You can join our Discord where we are mocking every single day. Dynasty discussion going on all the time. Come in and tell us how we are wrong. We're idiots. How, you know, we stumbled all over this thing and we don't know what we're doing. And these, they want to, you want to draft with us. Come let us know in the Discord, which is in the description below. Again, we appreciate you and we'll catch you next time.